So, good morning, everybody. Where are we? Well, um, we're in Luke chapter 11, and we're going to read the verses 14, 26 in a little while. Um, but Steve happened to mention from Hebrews, the small read from Hebrews, and I, um, that there's part of Hebrews which is um, talking to Christians who've become Christians and they stopped, wanted to stop being Christians. They wanted to go back to their old Jewish ways and stuff like that. And um, also in there it talks about um, having understand simple things about the doctrine of Jesus. Um, they call that what they call the milk of the word. In other words, we can understand simple things, but sometimes we are a bit lazy or a bit reticent to move on from where we are. And the spirit of sort of what I want to say this morning is that um, just to try and encourage us to move on from where we are. There, there is more. God has created a whole way of life for believing people to move on into. And um, growing in the Lord, it might be called, or growing as disciples and, and, and moving, on, moving on. And um, this morning, I want to take up the essence of what it means to be expecting, expecting more from God as who we are. Um, we'll find that thread as we read on just a little bit, uh, just a little bit later. Um, but there's, a, there's, a, there's an advert recently come on the television. You might have seen it. You might, might, have, might have not seen it. Um, and it's called Milk and More. So the, the old milk that used to be delivered to your door, uh, you can now get more. If you phone up by 9 o'clock the night before, you can have more than milk delivered to your doorstep. Quite a nice arrangement if you can get into it. You have to do that online. But uh, what they're saying is, we're offering more than milk. And it's like it with God, he's offering us more than sometimes what we're expecting. And wherever we are in the Christian life, there's always that essence of expecting more from ourselves and also expecting more from God. Okay? God is vast. He has so much, so much, so much to give us. And so many things for us to do as a church. And sometimes we're not taking up those resources or we've become lazy or we've forgotten and we say, it's not working, where do we go from here? And so I just want to just create that element this morning as we read. Last week, um, uh, we were back in our Luke series after a few weeks break and Steve reminded us, and the sermon's online still for you to listen to, prayer is a family affair how important it is to know who we are in that we should know who he is. It's important to know who we are in order that we might know who he is. And really it's telling us we're sons of God and it's telling us as sons of God we should know who he is as father. There's a unique relationship going on there in our prayer life that's relational and it's just, just more just more than family, there's something to develop there. So it's important to know who we are in that we should know who he is. Also that knowing who he is grows us into patterns of effective praying. And last week we saw that in, in, in the way that Jesus, in the beginning part of the chapter 11, 
They'd asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Jesus not only gave them verbal, a verbal uh, uh, script to pray, but there's more to it than being a verbal script. It was something real, and it was something to move on. And Jesus goes on to say, and some of the, the uh, translators put, Jesus illustrated this by saying, and he gave the example of a friend going to a friend, knocking him up at night to get bread for his friend who was coming. And then Jesus went on to say, ask, seek, knock. And we could explore that. But at the very heart of ask, seek, knock is that we will only do that if we're expecting God to do something. And what are we expecting God to do? I mean, if you need something, if you only need something and ask God for it, you've got to be expecting that God's going to provide it. If you want God to do something for you, you're expecting that God will do that for you. So really at the heart of prayer is the idea that we should be a people who are expecting God to do something. The father-child relationship is both the strongest and most enduring of relationships in the divine program, but has also become the prime target of satanic attention to tear it apart, both in practical ways and spiritual processes of varying kinds. For example, brokenness within families. There are those whose experience with their earthly father is less than God intended and stretching into the realm of what Satan intends instead. It may be difficult for some to grasp the majesty of God as father, and I want to encourage us nonetheless to pursue through Jesus and the Holy Spirit the majesty of the Father, this expecting him to do for us. You know, after the disciples had asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he gave them this structure, a simple verbal uh, script, but in reality, that prayer, as we know as our Father in heaven, it touched the heart of a miserable history. We've had a bit of a miserable history through covid but that prayer touches the heart of a miserable history, mainly in the context of the Jewish nation, Israel. That prayer touched the heart, and when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's touching the heart of the great need on earth, isn't it? For God's kingdom to come. And within our, within our country, within our nation, within Ukraine and Russia, and wherever we look in our world today, there's this desperate need for the kingdom of God to come and God's will to be done on earth. So Jesus chose his disciples, and you know, um, he begins, they begin to discover what God can do. As they move from, with Jesus day to day, they're beginning to discover what God can do. You know, um, they expected what God had promised, and as they prayed, your kingdom come, they were, learning, they were learning to expect. And I believe God wants us to learn to expect. To learn to expect. 
he gave them practical guidance and then talked about the friend. So I want to bounce off Steve's sermon last week and try and stitch it in with our section in Luke today as we head onward in the next few difficult verses, and they are difficult verses. I want to get the essence of expecting what God has promised and expect to gain what the Word says in the context of the kingdom of God worked out in the body of Christ, that's us as a church, and there is more, far more for Beacon to reach into as we expect to grow and we expect the growth of the building, not made with hands, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this church, Beacon, and the whole church globally is a building being built by God. And it's not going to be something that's going to be done by human hands, it's can be done in the power of the Spirit. We come together today to learn how to do this and to work it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got a strange passage today, and one extremely important aspect in dealing with the four Gospels, and we need to remember this, that in the main, they were written in the contemporary context of the Jewish nation for the first three or four hundred years AD, in its culture, in its individuals, also its demise, and its promised resurgence. Much of Jesus' teaching in parables and illustrations is dominated by him speaking into the religious and domestic community of Israel, which was at that time lost for words at their loss of God's glorious identity for them. Their expectations have become woes. Sometimes that happens in church. We expect God to heal. We expect God to do something, and we expect things to happen in the name of Jesus. And when they don't happen, they become our woes. Their dreams have become their nightmares. Maybe people's got very big dreams, dreams of what they think God wants to do for them, and in the end that can become a nightmare. Their war was against Rome, but spiritually it was against their God and it was a war that they could not win. At various stages, the Gospels record the words like, we thought this was going to happen. We expected that that's what it was going to be like and that the coming Messiah would overthrow the Roman occupation and make them great again. Jesus said, as a lasting judgment on the nation, eventually your house, talking to the nation of Israel, your house will be left to you desolate. We don't want to be a church where we find that God might say to us, your house will be left to you desolate. I'm sure that won't happen, but I'm sure it could happen. We want to be vibrant. We want to be moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. This desolation is intimated in our reading today. In the story, which we will read in a moment, there is a man who is dumb and mute. And jumping straight into the reading, says Jesus cast out the demon from this man. When Luke 
is Luke in writing his gospel, he has two two pronged attack. He's writing about all that Jesus began both to teach. And he did one thing, which is recorded in nine words, and then he talked, which is recorded in about 220 words. So you see Jesus doing and Jesus teaching. And it's a wonderful miracle that's happened, which set off a reaction from both the Jewish nation and the crowds. The crowds were amazed and they were wondering at this wonderful man, this one we've been praising just now, that had come amongst them. But then there was the Jewish representatives, the scribes and the Pharisees, who were calling him, he's being controlled by Satan. What he's doing, he's doing in Satan's name. And Jesus called that an unforgivable sin, as they sort of said Jesus is actually working in the power of Satan. But in order that we might be an expecting people, um, I've got a little clip of a, um, of a, a senior pastor of a church in America in Lakewood. And as some of you have seen this video. Um, and it's, he has a son who is autistic, severely autistic, so that he can't speak. Now, it's a strange scenario because the guy had a simple operation so that they might not have any more children in their family. And surprise, surprise, they had another child. And he was autistic, and he couldn't speak. Now, I'm not, what I'm not saying this morning, that this is an example of dem- demonic possession. It's not. But it's an example of what we could expect from God and what God can do and what can happen. So, Paul, if you could just... So the short clip, if it works, because we're only walking a little section of it. But, but, God, we tried everything. He's struggling so much, and he said it again to me. He said, Craig, your child's not a burden. Your child's a gift. He said, you're looking at everything that's wrong with them. You're not looking at everything that's right. And I said, God, what do you mean? And he said, Craig, I'm going to use your son to reach millions of people. Now, i got to be honest with you. I, I didn't see it. And it was a very vulnerable moment, even as a man of faith. And I remember picking up a bottle of water in my car, and I said, God, my son can't even ask for a drink of water. How's he going to reach millions of people? And I'll never forget what God spoke to me. And these are usually the four words he'll speak to you whenever you're in the desert. Whenever you're going through a drought, whenever you need a cool cup of water, he just said, do you trust me? Mm-hmm. And I said, God, you know, you're all we've got, but I trust you. And I thought things were going to get better, but here's the testing time. Things got worse. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought I just talked to God. Things are going to get better. And things got worse. But about three months later, my wife came in calling from upstairs, and she's putting her on her bed, and she yelled, Craig, Craig, get up here, get up here. I thought something was a matter, so I run upstairs, and, and she's crying. I said, what is it? And she said, Craig, I was putting her on her bed. I was reading him a couple books. I began to pray, and she said, all of a sudden, he began to speak, and he began to say one word after another word, one sentence after another sentence, one paragraph after another. And, and you've got to understand, I haven't heard my son put together more than two words in three years. Yes. I said, what do you mean he began to speak? And she said, he began to speak. And, and so tears were rolling down my cheeks. And I said, what do you say? And she walked me over to his bed, and she just kind of leaned over the bed. 
And she said, Connor, say it for mommy and daddy. Say it again. And my little five-year-old boy looked up, and he actually looked at us, and all of a sudden he began to speak. And he said, this is my Bible. I am what says I am. I have what says I have. I can do what says I can do. Today I'll be taught the word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, that was my son's first words. The air was spoke. Whoa! <laughs> so you and... The pastor went on to, through his church, they created what they called the Champions Club, where they, they worked with disabled children like that, and they became the Champions Club. I thought it was so wonderful. And it just reminds us what we can expect from God. We need to be a people who go on, we don't see God working, we need to go on and see what God can do. So let's, and you'll, we'll pick up this thread in a minute. If we read now Luke 11, 14 to 26. Like I said, that wasn't an example of someone being um, demonized or whatever, but it was an example of, of God moving in his wonderful way. But this story is, um, verse 14, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. In Matthew tells us that people brought the, the guy to Jesus for it to be cast out. So that's an act of faith, isn't it? Now who's casting out a demon that was mute? And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Hallelujah. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes on and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Quite a reading. We've seen the video clip. The practical guidance that Jesus gave about the prayer was ask, seek, 
knock. There's a couple of things I want to say about expectation and what is at the very core of us, and it's the dynamic of expectation, is expecting God to move. Expecting God to move in the way in which he can best do it in our situation. What is Jesus drilling down to at the heart of prayer in this way? It is, as he also said, believe and you will receive. Expectation. Believe and you will receive. Or what does that mean? We expect a reply when we ask God something. We expect an action. We expect an intervention, a provision, an answer. You know, God has given his manifesto both as a friend, which we saw in the story last week, and also as a father. God has given his manifesto as the friend, but more so in being our father. More so in being our father. We call him our dear, amazing dad, or as Steve said last week, our papa Daddy, a real father relationship. If we give him our personal attention, he also gives us his personal attention, knowing what pleases us. But sometimes we don't give him our personal attention. We rattle off a list of what we want, or what we think best, but we don't give him our personal attention. And part of this father child relationship is actually giving him our personal attention. And if we give him our personal attention, he gives us his personal attention. And he knows what pleases us. He knows what blesses us. And one of the things that he expects, he expects us to expect. God expects us to expect. I think Steve brought that out in what he said last week. He's our father. He expects us to expect. If we're not expecting from him, there's hardly no point in saying the things we do sometimes. So the asking, seeking, and knocking, we give him our personal attention, and expecting of him then our praying could be like that. So there's a dynamic of expectation and the foundation of expectation. What is the foundation of this expectation we have from God? The the foundation of expecting from God are his words, or his word. We find that contained in our Bibles, what he wants. Just to take a family illustration, a child's talking to its father, and the father's saying, we'll go fishing on Saturday. And if they don't go fishing on Saturday, he said, Dad, you said. Dad, you said. A girl might come and say, will you take me to the party on Saturday? And Dad will say to him, well, I haven't got time now, love. But Daddy, you said. And the the immense disappointment comes, not so much because the child doesn't do what was promised, but because... Dad said, you said. So the foundation of our expecting from God is what he said. 
and what he says. We take his words. As children, we can build trust and confidence as we expect in our spirit, but that ennobles his fatherhood to an unbelievable level. God keeps his promises, and he expects us to expect what he said. We can go back to him and say, Dad, you said. And we can say, why not? Lord, why not? And we can say, I don't understand. And we can say, why did you allow that? That father-child relationship, which God wants us to develop with him, that personal thing. A few sermons ago, I quoted to you a quote, and I can't remember who said it now, but it said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. To take it on from there, as we reflect back in Luke, Jesus is, is actually building expectation. He would say, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom is about to come, the kingdom of God is upon you. And that's that growing expectation that what God was doing, he was moving in the earth, and he was working out his purposes, he was building expectation. As the disciples saw him operate, and they saw promises being fulfilled, and Jesus doing things, he was building expectation into them. And you remember the story of the boat on the lake, when they were so afraid, and Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat, he ended up by saying to them, when they saw Jesus calm the storm, he said, what little faith, or you haven't got great faith. But what it really meant, he said, you could have done that. That's the heart of it. You could have done that. You could have calmed the storm. You could have done that. And so Jesus was not only giving them expectation, but he was building it in to their discipleship, the need, and just to see how desperate we are for things to happen. In Luke 9, earlier on, Jesus called 12, and he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. I wonder what the level of their expectancy was like. Were they expecting things to happen? I, I just wonder, you know. Jesus has given us something, he gives us something, you just wonder if it's going to work, don't you? Well, I do anyway. In Luke 10, he appointed 72 others to heal the sick. And he told them, the kingdom of God is near you. And when they came back, this is what they said. They reported, now he sent them out to heal the sick, but they came back and said and reported, even the demons obey what we say. In actual fact, you see the tendency that actually more happened than what they were sent out to do. They were moving on. Maybe they moved out with this expectancy. But Jesus says a wonderful thing and a strange thing as well. He, when they came back, he said, don't rejoice because the demons have been cast out, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I thought, Jesus didn't say, well, rejoice because you're the either the 12 apostles or the 12 disciples. He didn't say rejoice because you're the 72 others that I sent out. He says, no, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And that throws a totally different light because within the church, 
globally, there is this downside, you know, that people say, we're not qualified to do these things. But we are. God has given us power, and he has given us authority in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as they were getting stuck into kingdom realities, as they were getting stuck into these kingdom realities, they were learning to expect. So to make the point, as people of God accepted by Jesus, we should be expecting to receive supernatural gifts and to operate in them and to bless all others in the name of Jesus. All true believers are both empowered and put in a place of authority to do this. I just want to read a few verses from 2 Peter 1. And it sort of bears this up. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Now this is Peter writing. You know what Peter was. You know how powerful he was. He stood up on the day of Pentecost. You know the miracles he formed. You know the things he said. You, know, you saw the results. You saw the character of his life. And he says, he's writing to these people, and it's those who have obtained a faith which has equal standing as ours. That's amazing, isn't it? That faith we have is, has equal standing with those earlier who were empowered by God through Jesus. It goes on to say, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Divine power. That comes through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us, he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature. Through those promises, you will become partakers or users or those who are involved in the divine nature. That's, that's us. That's who we are in Christ. Then down to verse 10 in Peter 1, it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So working out that power and authority in our life that the power of the Holy Spirit is actually making our calling and election sure. In other words, it's meeting up to what we've been called to do. In a reading today, Jesus said, if it is by the finger of God or spirit of God, as Matthew says, if it is by these I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In the prayer last week, the one specific thing Jesus told them to ask for was the Holy Spirit. That was the one specific thing he asked them. Now, that could have been well fulfilled at Pentecost as a general prayer. There was an individual portion to that too, that we can receive the power of the Holy Spirit individually. It was slightly different then before Pentecost, but 
The dynamic remains the same. Are we a people asking of the Spirit of God? If we're expecting God to do something, we need to do that one specific thing, which we learn of here. And in Christ Jesus, we may all have the Holy Spirit. There's that sense where we need to be asking, moving, waking up in the morning and say, thank you, Father, for the presence and power of your Spirit. Help me to move today in that power. Help me to see what you want to do. Help me to do that. That's being expectant. The Holy Spirit can grow that expectancy in us. There's just two with one more verse. I qualified earlier but the fact that he called, he said, rejoice because you're the sons of God, you're, you're members of God's family. That is what you've got to rejoice in. That's what you be thankful for. But then I want to just read that verse in 1 Corinthians 12. Three verses, not just one. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church. Now, just, take, just think about that phrase for a moment. God has appointed in the church. We're the church. Within Beacon Church, God has appointed in the church. He's appointed apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles. A few preachings ago, Darren, who was with us a few, week, few years ago, a few weeks ago and a few years ago, he said, I see miracles over Beacon. That raised our expectancy. Let us see it again. Let's see miracles over Beacon. And then it goes on to say, then gifts of healing, gifts of helping, gifts of administration, and various kinds of tongues... He said, these are appointed in the church. And later on, Paul said, as he closed that, he said, desire those gifts. Desire those gifts. Is, is that a state of expectancy? To want the gifts? Maybe you don't want them. I, I just sense sometimes there's a little bit of fear about spiritual issues. You know, we know Jesus, he's... He's our saviour, he's our Lord, he's our friend. But we seem to be a bit wary about the Holy Spirit and the spiritual things. And we need to get to know him. We need to move on in that power. And I'm going to pray in a moment for a birthing of increasing expansion in us today. You might say to me, you haven't mentioned anything about the teaching about the demons. Well, no, I don't think it would really help us today. Quite a difficult passage because it's all to do with the demise of the nation of Israel and how, in a sense, it's become, even through religion, it's become a demonized situation. Matthew tells us that Jesus, in explaining this passage, he calls the nation of Israel an evil nation. And the whole business about the, the demon and the house being swept clean is all to do with the nation of Israel. I don't think it can help us this morning. What we can learn is this thread through Luke is to be a people who are expecting God to move and see things happen, because that's what all the prayer was about. See us move. Now, we saw what can happen when God moves 
with this guy. So let's pray as before Steve comes to lead us in more worship as we celebrate his goodness. Father, I just thank you. Father, we just thank you for what you've given to us. Lord, we're not empty vessels. We've been filled with your Holy Spirit. And we come again in the name of Jesus. And I just pray that you will birth within us an increasing expectation to be what called and told said the church was in the days when he wrote to the Corinthians. Let us desire to be expecting those gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to move in power in Jesus' name.